Hello and welcome to Can Architecture Fix This? A podcast where we explore challenging design questions through stories and conversations with expert guests. I'm your host, Rebecca Schaeberg, coming to you from White Architecture Studio in Oslo, Norway. Just to recap for new listeners, about two years ago, our studio gathered a number of articles from colleagues and outside collaborators featuring stories about designing where water is a primary concern. We published those stories in a book anthology entitled Out of the Blue. Over the next episodes, we're checking back in with some of those contributing authors to hear their stories firsthand and see if anything has developed over the past two or so years. Last week, we heard from Eystein Grenning about a project he did in Oman. If you haven't listened to that yet, you can find it in our feed. It would be good to listen to that story together with the story this week, because the two have some very similar themes, even though they're thousands of miles apart. This week, we're asking, can architecture fix urban water management? And it's a story from our own hometown, Oslo. We've invited Taryn Fergus, who is a senior engineer and project developer at the Oslo Municipal Water and Sewage Management Department. Now, I made the mistake in the interview of introducing her as a project leader when she's actually a project developer. That's actually a pretty interesting distinction because her role as project developer means that Taryn is involved in shaping how some of the most ambitious projects in Oslo are developed and what the premises of those projects should be. The story Taryn tells in our interview is about how and why reopening some of the waterways in the urban center became a priority for the city of Oslo. We hope you'll enjoy the story. Taryn Fergus is a senior engineer and project leader at the Oslo Municipal Water and Sewage Management Department. She was a project leader for the reopening Hovenbecken project, and she also gave a lecture at the Out of the Blue event in collaboration with White Architecture and Oslo's year as the European Green Capital in 2019. Welcome, Taryn. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Before we get into today's discussion, I wonder if you can introduce yourself a little bit more and maybe say what inspired you to work with water in urban settings. Well, I'm a project uh, developer, actually, not a project leader. But what inspired me to work with water? I was probably being a kid and uh, and, work, and playing in streams as a child, in both in Scotland and Africa. And in Norway, uh, that was probably what inspired me to work with water. But no, I'm a hydrologist. My, my background, my, my professional uh, academic background is a hydrologist from the University of Oslo, uh, geographer. I worked for a long time in the government, uh, the Norwegian Water Resources and Energy Directorate with flood protection and environmental uh, uh, projects in rivers. I'd always wanted to work in my own city. And uh, when this job came up in the water and sewage uh, agency, I just said, that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) That's a job I want desperately. So I think I spent about three hours at the interview. So, uh, no, no, actually, as a hydrologist at the university and the in academia, we learn very little about urban urban water and urban water systems. And, and that's one of the good things. It was actually good because I had so much to learn when I came here and it was so inspiring. So, uh, so I really think there should be, and I think there is today, a lot more 
focus on urban systems in 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 in, in water education in in uh, at the University of Oslo. So um, so I think things are changing, and I think. Uh, yeah, things are really changing in in uh, in the government as well. There's a lot more focus on on the urban uh, setting uh, in all sorts of ways. Uh, yeah. Okay. So as I said in the intro, you gave a lecture called "Green Blue Power in Urban Cities," and that tells the story of how Oslo is reopening the rivers. We would just love to hear that story again here, and um, and then follow up with what's been happening over the past few years. Well, it's a long story, actually, because yeah. <laughs> it's it started very similarly to all other stories about rivers in, and and streams in m- many other countries uh, around the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, when we started covering our rivers. Uh, I mean, our rivers were used as uh, vessels of transport for trash and for sewage for a long, long time. And uh, with the development of the modern sewage system, we started covering um, these rivers and using, and actually using them as sewers. So as a project developer, I'm sorry that I said that wrong in the intro. No, sorry, um, it's fine. <laughs> so I, think, I think it's a very interesting, um, interesting thing to bring up here. So as a project developer, it's then your job to, um, to develop what could be a project. Yeah, and bring that up right. to the bureaucrats and say, uh, or the, or the yeah. politicians and say, shall we do this? Yes. Okay, that's mm. right. When you spoke about the the Hovenbecken project in particular at the Out of the Blue event, it was the first time I had heard this comprehensive story about how Oslo was reopening these waterways. And in preparation for this interview, I also watched one of your online talks. Um, and both times, I was surprised and inspired by the fact that you say. Maybe we don't need to speak so much about the climate and environmental benefits, although those are important, but maybe we should speak more about what it does for the people in these urban centers. So could you explain why flipping the the focus is important for you and for these projects and what opportunities that might encourage? Well, I think it's because people live in cities and nature is so important to people's well-being. Mm -hmm. And I mean... If we don't build for the people around us, you know, who are we really building this for? Okay, climate change is coming. It's going to be a big factor, but mm. but you can tackle climate change in any. I mean, you can do it in other ways as well. But mm. but uh, but I think it's I think it's important that people experience nature just right out their door and kids. That can go and paddle in the stream right outside, and you see kids playing in these streams the whole time. If you put people at the center of things, I think that also makes the projects more interesting and also makes them more sustainable as well because they'll be more eager to take care of it and more, yeah, more eager to to get other projects. <laughs> The same. Yeah. I also wonder if it helps in the communication and, and kind of getting backing behind those projects, because I know from working on large scale urban projects in other countries, for example, in the US and Canada, that ambitious projects like reopening waterways is it tends to generate a lot of discussion and pushback, both from politicians and the community. And so I wonder if putting people at the focus helps you with that message, but also 
What did you experience here in Oslo with, with these various projects of reopening waterways and developments? Well, that's a good question because we have experienced pushback in some projects, mm. definitely, and and to the extent that they've not been uh, realised. And that's actually, there, there is a conflict of interest because, I mean, this river will take space. Yeah. Uh, um, it, I mean, obviously it will take space. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You, we need engagement in places yeah. where we assume, assume, yeah, of course, we're coming with a better solution. Aren't you going to want yeah, that? Yeah. But, yeah, yes. <laughs> Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes for politicians and community members who may actually want to take on a project like this and they see the potential benefits, they may be discouraged because they think it might cost a lot or take a lot of time. So... If you if you take take one one uh, place like Ensho for example, if mm-hmm. you didn't reopen that waterway, what mm. would have had to happen anyway? I mean, would would we have had to put in a bigger pipe because the the water there's more water coming in general, or or the sewage system needed upgrading? I mean, would would it have been a cost either way? One thing we do know that these open river systems do is that they slow down the water flow. Mm-hmm. In Oslo and in a city, I think, um, it's really often very difficult to reopen a stream completely. So we have such a lot of infrastructure on the ground, so we do a double system. So we have the stream on the top and we still have the pipeline underneath, transporting flood water. But the stream slows down the water, so it sort of saves capacity on the downstream uh, end, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We gain more friction in the river mm-hmm. system. We're slowing down water. We're also using it as, as part of the surface water system. So the surface water doesn't go straight into the pipe. It goes into the stream first and then goes into the pipe later down. So... If we do more and more of this, we're going to maybe sort of uh, take the tops off the biggest uh, of of some of the sort of not the biggest floods because uh, I don't think we can stop the biggest floods or or sort of reduce the biggest floods. They they'll happen anyway. They'll happen if you have a pipe. They'll happen if you have a open river. Yeah. You'll get damage in the biggest floods. But we might. I think we will be able to reduce the flood damage from the sort of more frequent events right and that's that's quite a benefit as well because uh freak i mean smaller frequent events do also create damage so uh, um after one of these projects for example hovenbecken um were there any unexpected benefits that you noticed after it was completed and in use for a few years any happy accidents Happy accidents. Well, actually, well, one it was a happy small accident. <laughs> I was I was passing some child, uh, and um, and her mother said, "Oh, look, uh, there's lots of water in the stream today." And the child said, "Yes, that's because it's rained a lot." She <laughs> <laughs> made that connection immediately. Yeah, it's a fantastic connection. I think uh, I think that's that's uh, and seeing kids uh, so active along the along the river, and fishing in 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 Tilwagstam and yeah, <laughs> big trout, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is amazing in the sort of 
thickest of the thick uh, Oslo, you're fishing for trout. So it's really that's happy. It's it's not an accident because we it was we it's meant to be fish there, but still it's it's so fantastic to see life coming into these streams and also uh waterfowl that are quite rare uh have, have established in the Hovenbecken. So it's just more habitat for for nature. So that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh it's an incredibly important issue right now as yeah. we're seeing um with biodiversity. We know that as urban centers expand and get closer to natural habitats, it's bad for everybody. Um certainly yeah. natural resources from you know, other, other species is decreasing the forest, which can filter the CO2. And it means that diseases can cross over into humans as we are seeing right now in the pandemic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know we've talked about this before, but I want to give you the space again to, to say it. So was biodiversity a central theme in reopening Oslo's rivers or was that, um, did that come later once, once it was realized that, that was going to be a benefit? No, no, biodiversity has been very important mm-hmm. uh, the whole time. So so that's really, I mean, there's three driving forces for reopening rivers. It's re- recreation, it's climate change and climate or climate change adaption mm-hmm. uh, and biodiversity and environmental, uh, the environmental um, issues. Uh, so biodiversity is really important and uh, all our stream all our reopening uh, projects have to be adapted to the local nature. So we only use local species. They have to be adapted to trout. Because if a stream is adapted to trout, which is a strong local fish, then they're also adapted to lots of other species that live in a stream. So, so we say, you know, we adapt the stream to trout. That sort of attracts all the other... Uh, the things so the trout have to eat. The, Things that trout have to eat. That's right. (laughs) I'm not a biologist. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, uh, that's really important. Yeah. Um, So now that a few of these projects are completed, what's next? Are there other projects that Oslo is trying to reopen or other rivers and waterways that are in the works? Oh yes. Well, we're still we're still working on Hovenbecken. We're going to reopen the stream. We've just reopened the stream at Jordal, which is downstream from Ensho, and now we're starting work on Klosterenga, which is just downstream from there again. So we're sort of gradually getting down to the fjord, <laughs> slowly, slowly inching down. Yeah. Uh, but then again, we have uh, we have other rivers as well. We have uh, Alna Alna River. Mm. Um and 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 of course uh, it should really be reopened down to the fjord, but that's a big, big, big uh, project. And and some of the sort of bigger projects, we really have to get the states on board, uh, the government on board, because they own a lot of infrastructure in Olna. We've just done a, a feasibility study uh, together with uh, the Norwegian Institute for Water. And and uh, also other organisations. It's actually a fantastic river because it's so pristine. There's so many areas which are, are are pristine, but there's also some big, major, heavy infrastructure along it, and that's where we need the government to to uh, collaborate with us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's important to to remember or to to hear for people who may not 
um, be involved in these really broad projects that have to span decades that opening a river doesn't mean opening it all within a two-year span it means taking oh, no. this as <laughs> as you say as little developments happen and then uh, maybe someday we get a totally open river but uh, it's mm -hmm. going to take some time so the last question of the day is the way we're ending all the interviews the name of the podcast is can architecture fix this so do you think that architecture can fix kind of runoff and wastewater management in urban centers, or is it too narrow to focus on architecture? And if so, how would you reframe it? Architects are really important in this, okay. <laughs> I would say, yeah. as landscape architects, but also building architects. But especially the planning aspect is really, really important. Because it, water follows, it's, it's got its own logic and mm -hmm. architecture has to follow that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't sort of uh, be in conflict with, with the way of water. <laughs> <laughs> you can't put buildings in the lowest point. Uh, yeah. It's going to yeah. get wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I can see also, as you said in, at the beginning, it's really important to work together with architects or, or, or people who deal with these future picture scenarios? Very important because that sort of gives people an idea of what can come, yeah. what can be there and uh, who else can <laughs> do these nice renderings. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the fun part. Then the real work yeah. begins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Taryn Fergus, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise. Good yeah. fun. That's the story this week. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to learn more about Oslo's initiative to reopen rivers and waterways, you can find it on their website at www.oslo.kommune.no. Unfortunately, most of the publications about the project are only available in Norwegian at this time, but some information can be found if you search for reopening waterways on their portal. Can Architecture Fix This is produced by White Architected in Oslo. Ingrid Klevan is our production manager. She also composes our music. Sophia Benson is our managing director. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have a minute, please give us a rating. That helps others find us. You can also find us on Instagram under the handle White Architected Oslo or visit our website at www.whitearchitecture.com. Join us next week when we speak with William Gagnon and hear stories from the Northern Territories of Canada and ask the question, can architecture fix the melting permafrost? I'm Rebecca Shadeberg, and this was Can Architecture Fix This from White Architected. <laughs>